Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Queasy. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Tuesday, October 26th. Game one of the 2021 World Series is queasy. Queasy is how to best describe the way I felt before game one of the World Series in 03. Queasy is uh, when you're slightly nervous or worried about something and it can induce a feeling of nausea. There's two types of people, right? People who eat when they're nervous and people who don't. I'm a don't. The feeling of queasiness is the feeling that there is nothing you can do. I'm a control freak. It's how I ran a team. It's how I've run my life, business and personal. It doesn't always work out personally. From a business standpoint, it tends to do well. But you can't control the most important part of your business. Think about this business that we're in, in baseball. When you are involved in a company that sells things and they don't sell, then you made a mistake. You have the wrong product, you have the wrong sales team, you have the wrong sales strategy, you have the wrong distribution, you have the wrong marketing. There is a way that you can analyze what went wrong and try to fix it. When you run a baseball team, you do all of those things to get ready. You make it to the World Series, which is the goal every year. And then the game starts and there's not one thing you can do to control the outcome. Now, you could say, oh, you could have gotten better players. You could have had a higher payroll. But that's a bunch of horse hockey. The reality is once the game starts, it doesn't matter whether you have a $200 million payroll or a $20 million payroll. It matters where, I swear to you, this is what matters. Watch the World Series for the next four to seven games and just look at ground balls. Just only look at ground balls. And if the defender is not exactly where the ground ball goes, then it's a base hit. And if it is where the defender is, it's a double play when there's a man on first. And the difference between a base hit and a double play is pretty big. How about the human side of a baseball game that you can't control? A mental error, a physical error. You can get angry. You can demand physical errors as being okay. We always were okay with physical errors. Because what are you going to do? It's, it's sports. There's nothing you can do. An error happens. We tried to eliminate all mental errors. Be in the right place at the right time. Keep your head in the game. Stay focused. But... Imagine the lack of control as a president of a team watching a game unfold, knowing that you've scripted who the pitching is going to be, what the matchups are, what the numbers say should happen. But then it has to actually happen. And when it doesn't, there's nothing you can do. And if you lose the World Series, 
all of the excitement of winning the pennant, all the excitement of managing in the All-Star game the next year, of sending your coaches to the All-Star game, of increasing your season tickets prices the next year because you had a good team, having a little extra payroll to waste on a player who's not going to be good or re-sign one of your heroes from the season because the fan base wants you to strike at a nerve, right? All of that goes away if you are the loser. Who remembers the losers? So queasy was a feeling that I had, and I remember clear as day the morning of October 25th, which was game six. But I want to go back because we're not up to game six yet. That was a clinching game. I want to take you back to game one. Game one was on a, I believe it would have been Tuesday as well. Let's just make sure I did the math right. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday. So it would have been Tuesday, October 18th would have been game one, 2003. Woke up in the Hyatt Hotel, 42nd and Lex. Had the itinerary in front of me so I knew what time bus time was. Bus time, it was a Saturday? Oh, I guess if Tuesday is, did we? No, hold on, Coca. I mean, I'm happy to redo this show, but I thought we won on October 25th. Oh, was there a, no? Anyway, okay. Saturday, October 18th. That can't be. That means we won in Yankee Stadium on a Saturday night, October 25th. Is that right? Because the World Series started on a Saturday? Okay, there it is. I knew it would have been a week, but I guess the World Series started Saturday. Thank you, Coca. All right, you can just wipe all that. 14. Here we go. Rian. Rian, wipe it. 14. 20. 69. So I remember so well waking up Saturday, October 18th, game one of the 2003 World Series, knowing that when the bus was coming, because that's what happens. You get an itinerary of what the schedule is for your road trip, and we were on a two-day road trip to New York. And for a 7 o'clock game, you generally have two buses, one at 1, one at 3. Remember, you're going to Yankee Stadium. Back then, there'd be one bus, two buses, even three buses. You knew that you had a bunch of other things you had to deal with on Day, the day of the game, even on the road, there were a lot of guests that we had to deal with, a lot of tickets that had to be dealt with with the traveling secretary, whose name was Bill Beck. The first thing I did on Saturday the 18th was go to Bill Beck's suite. The traveling secretary gets a suite always because that's what happens when you're a traveling secretary in baseball is you, the manager, the president, the GM, and any player who pays the difference between a regular room and a suite, those are the people who are in suites. The owner gets the presidential suite, but our owner lived in New York, so he was not in the team hotel in New York City. He was in his apartment. And went down, and there was a table that had all the tickets spread out because then it was actual paper tickets. And you put those tickets, when you're the visiting team, into envelopes that have names on them, and then they go to will call. And so that was two hours of my day on Saturday, October 18th, was making sure I had a seating chart, both for home and away games of the World Series. And for game one, I knew where everyone was going to sit, who were our guests, the players' guests. I remember thinking to myself that we knew what the lineup was. I wanted to get to Jack when he woke up. He was an early riser, went to church every morning. 
Just want to make sure that he was good. Spoke to Larry Beinfest, who was our GM at the time, make sure he was good. He was not the president of baseball ops. We didn't have one yet. He was the GM. Michael Hill was our assistant GM. I was checking in with PJ Laello, our head of communications. What was I doing? Why was I making all these check-in calls? Because I was trying to figure out how to deal with my queasy feeling. Because when you check on people who you work with or who work for you and with you, you have a sense of control. And I couldn't think about the game because I didn't know what would happen. I knew they had David Wells going for them. I knew what their lineup was. It just, there was nothing I could do. So I'm trying to make sure that everything I can control, I'm controlling. Couldn't eat a thing all day. We get on the bus, and the way the buses are is the president of the team sits right behind the manager in the second row of the bus. The manager sits in the first row on the opposite, on the passenger side of the bus. The traveling secretary sits in the first row behind the driver of the bus. Then the GM sits behind the traveling secretary, and the president sits behind the manager. Then behind the GM is the assistant GM, and behind the president is generally the bench coach. So we get on the bus, and the bus is going up Madison Avenue, and what I thought about on October 18th is this was the way my high school bus used to get to high school. I went to Horace Mann High School, and Horace Mann is in the Bronx, started in first grade. And the way you get there is by going over the Madison Avenue Bridge, getting onto the major Deegan Highway, passing Yankee Stadium, and then getting off at the Van Cortlandt Park exit, going around the ramp, and then going up the hill, and you are at Horace Mann. Did it every day for 12 years, first to 12th grade. And I am on the bus, not the school bus, now a World Series participating team bus as president of the team as a, wait for it, a 35-year-old. At the time, I thought I was this old and sophisticated person. Now, 18 years later, I realized that I was nothing but a daft prick. And uh, I meant punk. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, if people at Horace Mann who made fun of me, who thought that I talked too much, too short, too smart, not smart enough, not good enough at athletics, not good enough at acting, didn't know where he was going to fit in, certainly not having peaked in high school the way many do. I remember thinking while traveling on the bus, God, do I wish that I could somehow have people know that I'm doing this. I became like a little high schooler. There was no social media at the time, so I couldn't post anything. But I can promise you this. There would have been a giant size flex if I could have posted, which is so horrible to say, but uh, nothing personal. I admit it all to you. You know I do. I let you inside what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, because I wanted all those people to say, oh my God, are you kidding me? And it doesn't matter how you get a job. It matters how you keep a job. It matters how you do a job. And we were four games away from winning a World Series, and if I had my way, I would have played out the entire World Series as a script and controlled the whole thing with my puppeteer strings. And that queasy feeling comes when you can't do any of that. So get to the ballpark. The first thing I did when I got to the ballpark, normally in a regular season game, the first thing I would do is you go right into the clubhouse. You get off the bus, 
There's security. You never pass through security. They let you through. They let the players through. If you're from the team bus, they don't make you go through a metal detector or anything. And you go and you go through a tunnel. Yankee Stadium, you enter in and you have to go left and then you walk toward the visiting clubhouse. But the visiting clubhouse door, if you are walking down the hall, is to your left and then there is a tunnel that you go through to your right to access the dugout and the field. The first thing I did when I got to the park, when I got to Yankee Stadium, because remember, I'm a New Yorker, moved there in 1974. I was young. I was a kid. My parents had just gotten divorced, moving to a new place, and New York became my home. And instead of going into the clubhouse, which is what I would do every other game in every other city, no matter what, even during the playoffs in San Francisco and Chicago, I would access the clubhouse first. I'd put my bag down. I'd get a water, get some gum, get some pumpkin seeds. Game one of the 2003 World Series, I made a right turn instead of a left turn, and I walked onto the field through the dugout. I looked at the stencil on the field that said World Series. I looked out at this stadium that I had been to as a child when I was 10 years old, the 1978 World Series when my mom took me to a game. By 96, I wasn't going to games. I was already an adult, married with a child. But I looked out at Yankee Stadium of my youth, and I thought to myself, is there really a possibility that we are playing the New York Yankees in a World Series? The most famous franchise in all of sports. More famous than the Celtics. More famous than Barcelona, Man U, Liverpool. For me, the New York Yankees are the number one franchise in the world in any sport. There's Derek Jeter. There's Joe Torre. Is this really happening? And I thought to myself, and what a weird thing to feel when you're running a team, is that, uh uh-oh, I feel like a fan right now. So do you know what I did? Because I never wanted to feel like a fan, because fans can't do well at their job. You have to be emotionless. You have to not have that vested interest as a fan. You have to be much more business-like, much more robotic. I let that feeling wash over me, and it was gone for the rest of the series. After that moment of seeing Yankee Stadium before game one, it was all business for me. I turned around. I went back into the clubhouse. I went into the manager's office. I sat down in the manager's office. Jack was in there. Hadn't started BP yet. On the, on the road, you have the last BP, not the first BP. The early BP is done by the home team. Do you know why home teams take the early BP? Because they have nicer clubhouses, and it's easier to spend more time in your home clubhouse. Visiting clubhouses are cramped and damp and gross, and you don't want to spend extra time there if you don't have to. Rather be in the hotel. So sit with the manager, Jack McKeon. Larry's in there. We're waiting for Jeffrey to come. All the tickets are done. We're ready. And we said, hey, what's the temperature of the team? And Jack said, they're not nervous. And I said, how is that possible? And he said, they don't even know what we're doing here. They don't even realize that it's the World Series in Yankee Stadium. They don't realize anything other than they want to win tonight. And they've been winning a lot of nights since I got here 
Jack said, who had started in May. So he said, Sparky, relax. Put your feet up. And I was so taken by that, thinking, we're the best team in baseball. We've played the best since May. We just beat the Giants. We just came back from 3-1 against the Cubs. I was just happy to be there, not realizing that winning a World Series would change my life. Getting to the World Series would not. I was just happy to get there. And Jack McKeon said, don't talk to the players about Yankee Stadium. And Jack can be very sort of gruff and, and direct because I would have loved to have told stories to Mike Lowell, who had been a Yankee, or to Conine, or to Pierre or Castillo, to anybody about the Yankees and the lore of the Yankees. They walk out. We walk out to the field for BP. I go into the dugout. Music is playing, and the Yankees are showing highlights of all of the Yankees championships on the Jumbotron while we're taking BP. There's no fans in the stands. They're doing it just for us. And I'm looking up, and I'm looking at Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson and Ron Guidry. I'm looking at their core of Jeter, Posada, Pettit from their three straight championships in 98 to 2000. I don't think they showed many from the 01 World Series when they lost to the Diamondbacks. And I remember going to the batting cage because I could go to the batting cage and Jack would be behind the batting cage. Jack, do you see this? Look at this shit they're doing. Do you see this? I remember saying that to him and he said, ah, Sparky, our guys don't even know what that is. (laughs) And to me, it was history they were showing. And what Jack was saying is, our guys are so loose and they're so clueless that what the Yankees are doing to try to intimidate us is not going to work. Wouldn't you know, we went out and won game one. We were winning after three hitters of game one. The game ends, we go into the clubhouse, won a game. And that is when I thought we really are going to win this series because we had done what we wanted, which was to get one in New York. That was our plan. Two out of three when we started the series. You split the first two at home. You win two out of three in your home three-game series. So you split on the road. So you go home 1-1. You win two out of three. You're up 3-2 going back for game six and seven. And you try to get one out of the next two. That's the plan. That's actually how the 03 World Series worked out. That's exactly what Atlanta did. They won one of two at home, though. They had the home field in the LCS. So it's not at all what Atlanta did. I don't even know why that was in my head. Atlanta did none of that. They won the first two at home. Forget that. What was I thinking about? Who just won one out of two on the road and then two out of three at home and then one game six? Could that be Houston over the Red Sox? No, but Houston had the home field. Okay, I'm moving on right now because it's time. Right, Coca? World Series. Queasy was word of the day. Okay. So I've talked a little bit about what's happening with the me in the World Series. The Braves and Astros are ready to go tonight. The... Eyes of the world are on the Braves and Astros, but there's some stuff going on behind the scenes 
that is disappointing me greatly because I didn't want leaks about collective bargaining to start now. We all know the collective bargaining agreement expires December 1st. We all know it's only October 26th. And now the one thing you want as an owner and as a league is you want the focus on the field during the World Series. You don't want people talking about the sign-stealing scandal from 2016, 17, 18, 19 with the Astros. You want people saying the Astros are in their fifth league championship series and their third World Series in five years. You don't want people talking about the all-star game that was pulled from Atlanta only three short months ago. Does anyone remember that story? Because of the voter suppression laws and then the All-Star game was moved to Denver, which in theory has the same voter suppression laws. And I told you on Nothing Personal that Rob Manford did not pull the All-Star game because of the voter suppression laws. He actually pulled the All-Star game out of Atlanta because the players said, we're not playing. And Rob said, uh-oh, we better move it. And the players said, thank you. I don't see many players on Atlanta or Houston saying we're not going to play the World Series in Atlanta. People are writing about that. Why, why is baseball holding the World Series in Atlanta when they wouldn't hold the All-Star game? Have the laws changed? No, they haven't changed. It's that the players changed. Believe me, the players will play in Atlanta. So that's being written about, and that's got to be frustrating for Rob Manford. But then there was an article in the Associated Press written by a Horace Mann alum, by the way. Ron Blum went to Horace Mann. I like how we can go full circle on HM. Anytime I can work Horace Mann into the show, I like it. An article basically saying that baseball's ninth work stoppage is certain to start on December 2nd. First time in 26 years since 1995 there's going to be a work stoppage. Why are we writing this now? Who wanted this article out now? What's the purpose? Let's take a look at it from both sides. Let's start with the commissioner. National broadcast deals are locked up. He knows exactly where all 30 of his owners sit on all of the major bargaining issues. All those meetings have been done already. The commissioner knows exactly how far he can go in negotiating. He knows the hot buttons for eight teams that can block a vote. It is all in a chart that Rob has. The reason why you would want an article out right now about a work stoppage and the freezing of the free agent market is the hope that free agents to be, the Carlos Correas of the world, the Freddie Freemans of the world, will say to their union, I don't want to wait till March or April or May to sign a deal. I want to get a free agent deal signed as quickly as possible. I want to get paid. I want my money guaranteed. I want to get it without any possible rule changes. I want teams to sign me before there's a change in the luxury tax threshold. Please do not have a free agent freeze. Players definitely don't want that. But the owners don't care. 
If I'm running a team, which I did, it doesn't matter if there's a work stoppage in December. I don't get revenue in the offseason. I have no ticket revenue coming in. I have no broadcast revenue coming in. All I have are expenses. And if there's a work stoppage, like when there's a break for COVID, I could furlough some sales people, which I wouldn't but could, because that's like putting a finger in a dam. Owners don't start getting hurt with a work stoppage until games are missed. Remember when the owner said to you during COVID, hey, we lose money every time there's a game? That's because there were no fans in the stands. Owners don't lose money ever when a game is being played, assuming they've got the right payroll. But you've got to have fans in the stands. Owners who lose money when their payroll's too high are losing money once they start paying the payroll, which doesn't happen till the regular season starts. Spring training is a loss leader to get ready for the regular season. What if there's over eight teams who actually lose money operationally? There are. Would they be willing to give up a season? They may. Would the value of their team go down appreciably if there's a lost season? No, because there's still only 30 teams. There is no supply of major league teams, and there is so much demand because there are so many wealthy people who want to be in that club, in the ownership club. So what is the incentive for owners to do a bad collective bargaining deal? I'm waiting for it. Oh, their relationship with you, the fans, they don't care. Oh, to do what's right by the players, they don't care. Now, this is not being anti-owner or pro-player or anti-player because both sides have such different views of the short term. Players have short careers. When you miss a year in a career and you're a free agent, you could never get your big deal. Or if you miss a year of service time without playing and your arbitration is delayed by a year. Think about how bad it is for players if a year is missed of baseball without an agreement to give service time for that year. Why do I keep mentioning service time? Because that is the only issue that matters for both sides. Players want it and owners don't want to give it. Service time is how we measure seniority and how players get paid. So every single argument and every single economic issue has at its core service time. So an article to come out now would have been leaked by the owners because the World Series, the ratings, the attention, the owners can say, hey, listen, all the distraction with the work stoppage, no wonder people didn't watch. No wonder the ratings were bad. It's an excuse for continued erosion of ratings. People are angry. Fans are upset. Let me ask you this. Are you upset that there's articles or that there's going to be a work stoppage December 2nd right now? Or are you upset that your team didn't do well during the season or just got eliminated in the postseason, or if you're living in two cities or you're a fan of the Atlanta super team, that you are super team like when they were on the Superstation, WTBS, and they were the one team that everyone around the country could watch back in the day. That's why there's so many Braves fans. 
You're not focused on the work stoppage. You're focused on the World Series. But the majority of people would read that article and say, oh, man, bunch of greedy owners, bunch of greedy players. Well, I have a word of advice for all of you. Ignore all of the leaks that are done about the work stoppage and about the negotiations because there's going to be fast and furious from both sides. Come to nothing personal. We'll tell you where they are, why they are, what the proposals are back and forth, where they're actually going to land. And then we'll tell you not to panic because owners are not panicking about a work stoppage even when they lock out the players on December 2nd because owners know that players only start getting serious when they start losing money. And the players don't start losing money until they start getting paid in April. And what the players need to realize is the owners are willing to shorten the season. So don't panic if the season doesn't start on time, spring training doesn't start on time. There will be baseball next year, but boy, are we going to have a roller coaster of distractions until then. Queasy. I feel queasy. I actually do feel queasy. All right, when we come back, we are going to uh, review a movie that Coca told me to watch. And I'm going to talk about what's going on in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns. Just you wait, because that is something. We will be right back here on Nothing Personal. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following, telling your friends about the show. Please spread the word. We continue to grow, but this is a critical month for us. I think I said that last month, but this time I mean it. We need numbers. Have numbers, we'll travel. <laughs> ah, relax, everyone. Watch a movie every day. Coca told me to watch Lorelei. We reviewed it a couple days ago. I don't remember when we did that. Was that this week, Coca, or last week? That was the one with Jenna Malone and Lev Schreiber's half-brother. He then told me to watch a movie called Blue Bayou. Blue Bayou stars Justin Chan, who wrote, produced, directed a movie about a 35-year-old man who is Korean. He was adopted by white parents, not granted citizenship because his parents didn't go for his own citizenship. He married and had a child on the way. 
His wife is played by Alicia Vikander. People say that it's sort of like Minari, that Academy Award-nominated film from last year. It has nothing to do with Minari. The reason I'd like you to see Blue Bayou, there is a political message, don't get me wrong, about deportation. But that's not what made me cry. Coca told me I'd get emotional at the end of the movie, and I did. The end of the movie is heartbreaking, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. And... Ah, whatever. Watch Blue Bayou, please. I'm not about to get emotional on Game 1 of the World Series, except I'm just going to say that uh, the love that exists between parents and children when it's right and it's not the subject of abuse or the subject of neglect, when you can put on screen what that love can be and should be and often isn't and it doesn't spark emotion in you, Nothing personal pick of the day. Not often do teams cover and lose. Normally you're just supposed to pick a winner. But we had the Seahawks. I thought they could actually win a game. But they covered, so we got the win. We're 138 and 125. We gave you an NBA pick as well. Uh, the Trailblazers have Damian Lillard, top 75 player. They lost by 75 points to the Los Angeles Clippers last night. So they didn't cover. 138 and 125. We went 1-1. One all right, we're going to do some picks now for the World Series. God, the Trailblazers stink last night. I stayed up so late. I got to, why do I do this, Coca? Can you explain to me why in picks of the day I choose late night games, West Coast games, when you know I'm going to watch them? And it was the night off without a World Series game. And now I've got five World Series games in six nights. Doing pre and post, by the way. Turn in the CBS Sports HQ if you want to see my shining face and you're not on the YouTube channel. But please, be on the YouTube channel. Now, have you figured out while I've been in Stanford how I'm doing my outfits? Have you, Coca, figured it out? I, it, get to me at David P. Sampson on Twitter if you have figured out yet what I do when I'm doing pre and post game on HQ and then recording nothing personal the following morning, which is what I've been doing since I've been here a week. There is a method and a system. Let's see, do, do you have it, Coca? Probably not, because I don't think he's on the YouTube channel. Although he is looking at me as we record this the entire time. Nothing personal with David Sampson is the YouTube channel. All right, we've got the World Series. Game one is Charlie Morton. What a brilliant move by the Atlanta Braves starting Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton, what's the name of the guy with the, uh, was it Robert Ori who went to the NBA Finals every year with a different team? And there was a baseball player who went to the World Series every year with a different team. You know those players you just get on your team and somehow they just win? This is Charlie Morton's third World Series in a row. He played for the Astros in 19. He played for the Rays in 20, and he plays for the Braves in 21. He actually beat the Astros in game seven of the LCS last year as a member of the Rays. Pretty cool. 
but why is it brilliant that he's pitching game one against the Astros? Because what the Braves said to themselves is, if Morton can steal game one, we've got our ace Max Freed ready for game two. And it's counterintelligent, intuitive, not counterintelligent, counterintuitive, that's funny, Coca, seven, nine, six. It's counterintuitive to not start your ace who would have been on regular rest tonight, Max Freed. But when you can give your ace an extra day, start him in game two, and you've got a World Series grizzled veteran in game one against their supposed ace who did go eight innings, Valdez, in the last game five of the League Championship Series, but who had a terrible game one of that same series, and you steal that game, you're all of a sudden up one nothing, and there's so much pressure on Houston to win game two, and you've got Max Fried going, guess what? For the Astros, tonight is like a game seven. You've got to win tonight. Hard stop. Braves, that's my pick. I believe that Charlie Morton will beat Framber Valdez. I believe that the lineup that everyone is making fun of because Houston is so deep from one to seven, you've got the batting champion batting seventh for crying out loud. For crying out loud, you know I love you. I love the Braves. They were my least... Do you want me to rank? I'm going to give you the rank of the NL East teams I hated in order. Number one always, always was the Mets. Number two always, always was the Phillies. Number three was the Braves. Number four was the Nationals. One, two, three, four. Now, I didn't say always because when Frank Robinson managed the Expos, they were the number one. He was always so mean to us. I like the Braves. I like their lineup, even without Acuna. Rosario, their trade deadline acquisition, the former Marlin, Adam Robert Duvall. They've got Soler from the Royals at the deadline. Rosario from the Indians. Jock Peterson from the Cubs. My God, their GM, Alex Anthopoulos, did a great job. Freddie Freeman will be the MVP of this year's World Series. You can get him at like plus 1,100. Freddie Freeman entering free agency. Freddie Freeman's the guy you want at the plate when you need a big hit. Freddie Freeman is such a good defender at first base that it just feels so good when he's scooping up balls. When you are an infielder and you know if you get the ball in the general direction of your baseman that it's going to be caught and you're going to get an out and not get an error, you tend to make better plays. Think about the Red Sox series when Kyle Schwarber played first base. And when you throw it in his general direction, you hold your breath and pray to God that he'll find a way to catch the ball and step on first. And I don't blame him. He hadn't played first base before. But the reality is, Freddie Freeman, it was like when we had Derek Lee. It's like a vacuum over there. Just get the ball near, and you've got yourself an out. These are two really good infields. This is going to be good baseball. I think this goes seven games. I think the Braves win game one and game seven in Houston. Braves in seven. Braves in game one, Freddie Freeman MVP. I'm going to make those the wait to sees, actually, okay? Braves in seven, wait to see. Freeman MVP, wait to see. Let's book that, Coca. Put that on the list. And we'll revisit that, of course. But nothing personal pick of the day. Braves in game one, get ready. Tune in to CBS Sports HQ for the pregame, postgame. Because you will see my smiling face. Different blazer. All right. What happens when you get a phone call and you're an owner that says, we've got a story that we're releasing 
and it's you. Coco, well, my story, I did it on nothing personal before I'm going to do it again. When I was called by the Miami New Times and told they had a story about me, I went through exactly what I went through, who I called, what meetings I had, which lawyers, PR people were at the go, at the ready. And that was years ago. Now in this era of immediate cancel culture where owners could be forced to sell a team, get fined, touching the third rail of misogyny and racism and homophobia, Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, got word that there was a story going to be released that would have been the end or could be the end of him. A story that was going to outline how racist he was, how he practiced discriminatory practices. <laughs> Do you practice practices? Practice? Practice? It's practice. I don't need practice. I wonder why my voice goes. I was trying to imitate Alan Iverson. He didn't like practicing. I don't think you practice discriminatory practices. I think you, what is the word, Coca? Come on, are you there? Are you, where are you? In any case, you're not there. I wish you were in my ear. Hello? Oh, there's a rainstorm. We, by the way, we may, there's a nor'easter here in the northeast. There is a chance that this is not being recorded, that we lost Wi-Fi and service. That's how bad. It's very windy. Or there's a chance Coca's just looking out the window, looking at butterflies. Whatever the case is, Robert Sarver got, in, got word that there was going to be this article, and he had to deal with it. He got his PR people together and released a statement that was a very well-crafted intelligence statement done by professionals. He clearly does not hire the people who Jim Crane hires in Houston or that Jerry Jones or some of the other, Daniel Snyder, some of the other owners. He clearly hires good PR people. And he started with something that is important. I'm wholly shocked by some of the allegations purported by ESPN about me personally or about the Suns. I can't begin to know how to respond to some of the vague suggestions made by mostly anonymous voices. But I can certainly tell you that some of the claims I find completely repugnant to my nature and to the character of the Suns workplace. And I can tell you they never ever happened. It's a strong statement, Robert. When you make a statement like that, what's the one rule that you've learned on nothing personal? When you say something never, ever happened, you better be sure. Because everything's recorded. Everyone is paparazzi. And every email, text, or TikTok you've ever sent is out there to be seen and captured. I would never, as president of a team, say that something never ever happened. I would certainly say that I never did certain things, but I could never say that they didn't happen within my organization. He rejected any insinuation of personal or organizational racism or gender discrimination. As an owner of a team, you can't do that. You cannot say it didn't happen. You can reject the insinuation. Read into that statement. It sounds good with big words, right? I reject any insinuation 
of personal organizational racism. I don't reject that it happened. I reject you insinuating that it happened. These words were chosen very carefully. But then I want to focus on another sentence that was part of this statement that concerned me, and I think about this every day. I don't begin to know how to prove something didn't happen. And it is difficult to erase or forget ugly accusations once they are made. That's the PR handbook of what to say when you're accused of something these days. And I have no good solution because I'm guilty. Nothing personal is guilty. You're guilty. The media is guilty. Every single one of us reads an accusation and says to our friend, our coworker, our significant other, can you believe that guy? What a POS. It's an accusation. I'm guilty of it with Deshaun Watson. Not guilty of it with Marcelo Zuna, as an example. Personal relationships come into play. Guilty of it with Trevor Bauer. He did it. Look at the pictures. Look at the police report. Look at what other people are saying. How can I, in good conscience, tell you that people are innocent until proven guilty when I am one of the people who actually uses his platform to promote and to discuss accusations and talk about them as though they happened? I don't know what Robert Sarver did. I don't know if we'll ever know exactly what Trevor Bauer or anybody does, or Deshaun Watson. I know that the legal process will play out. I know that there are systems in place that are used specifically to try to get to the truth of what happens when two people are in a room. You look for a system of discrimination. You look for the smoking gun emails or memos that show that an owner is racist or that they have unfair hiring practices. You look for anything to try to give you confirmation bias or proof that what you have been accused of or what people are saying you did that you did. Robert Sarver is going to spend the rest of his career as owner trying to get people to forget about what hasn't even been written yet just think about that for one minute. World Series Game 1, that's our show today. Watch it. We will be back tomorrow. We'll talk about the game. Go Braves. Remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal. 